Finding the right cleat can be transformative. Believe me, I've worn plenty during my career. So getting the right balance is crucial. The cleat needs to feel good on your foot, but also feel good connecting with the ball. The New Balance Furon 7 Plus is built with both of those points in mind, offering overall comfort and precise striking in the game's fastest moments. Because, as I learned the hard way, because I didn't possess much of it, speed matters in soccer. That's why the Furon 7 Plus is built for accuracy and precision at rapid pace and is engineered specifically for use on firm ground. Why is this the ideal cleat, I hear you ask? Well, not to get too scientific, but the Furon 7 Plus offers a lightweight yet supportive hypo-knit with mesh lining upper construction and is paired with offset lacing for a truer strike of the ball, which is a long way of me saying that your game will immediately get better when these are on your feet. Learn more and purchase the Furon at NewBalance.com. Hey, it's Lisa Carlin from Attacking Third to tell you about the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe. It's equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend. The Hyundai Santa Fe features available all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, plus available dual wireless charging pads, ensuring that you can take on any adventure. It's ski season, and with the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe, I can easily load the car with all my gear plus my friends in the third row and make it right to the base of the slopes with all-wheel drive. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome in to an attacking third emergency pod. The emergency is that we have to talk about the U.S. Women's National Team's officially announcement of hiring Emma Hayes as the next head coach, as well as some breaking news coming out of the expansion side, Bay FC. I'm Jenny Chu here with the original pod squad, Lisa Carlin and Sandra Herrera. Welcome, ladies. Thank you for having us. This is so fun. I, I actually haven't podcasted from home in way too long, so I am so glad to be back on here with you guys. It feels like family. It feels like we're getting the holiday started early. Honestly, love that we're all doing this together. The whole gang is back. The gang is back. Um, but thank you guys for letting me be on with you guys. Let's go ahead and get into that big news first about Expansion Side Bay FC announcing their first signing because this is the breaking news. And then we'll get into Emma Hayes a little bit later because there's so much to dive into there. Uh, Alex Luetta joins the club from the Kansas City Current in exchange for $175,000 in allocation money and protection from Bay FC in the expansion draft. There is so much to break down here. Sandra, give me the details about this whole situation right now. Yeah, I think it's a it's an important signing for Bay FC. I think you want to get in front of all the headlines ahead of expansion draft. Like who is going to be that first player? How are you going to to target fleshing out your roster? And they went ahead with a young prospect with a pretty high ceiling at this point in Alex Loetta. This is a, a player with local ties to the Bay Area, a Santa Clara alum. So she's not unfamiliar with with playing in, in elite programs and at high levels. I thought she had a pretty underrated rookie of the year season with Kansas City Current and their run up to the 2022 NWSL championship. She unfortunately had to navigate some, some injury in, in 2023, but I think this is a young player with, again, with a very high ceiling uh, to compete in this league. And the fact that they went out and essentially 
targeted, said they want to get a specific player. I think it's a mutual win here for for both sides of the trade. If you're looking at it from Bay FC, getting to kind of build around a, a local kid, and if you're Kansas City, getting in front of uh, the expansion draft and giving up uh, or getting receiving ex- expansion protection. Lisa, how do you see this one? Yes, Jenny. I mean, this is a really big signing for Bay FC because this is their first player ever that they're signing. This is their franchise player. You look at most recent history in the NWSL with San Diego Wave and Angel City coming in and who their big signings were. For San Diego, it was forward Alex Morgan. And for Angel City, it was Kristen Press, two U.S. international superstars. So the fact that Bay FC is going with a defensive midfielder in Alex Luera that is only in her second season ever as a professional says a lot about the direction that this club wants to go on the pitch. They want to be a team that doesn't necessarily care about um, the flashy lights. They want to win and, and they're building their team and their roster around a defensive midfielder. So they care about defense. They care about how the NWSL is played because it is a pretty transitional and physical league. And when you look at the makeup of Alex Luera as a player, she's an incredible defensive defensive player. She, she's really good at 1v1 defending. She can slot into the holes to prevent through passes by the opposition. But with the ball, she's also really intelligent. She played higher up at Santa Clara when she was in college, and she likes to be higher on the field. She wants to score goals. So she has the mindset of almost playing as a number 10 midfielder when she is the six in the defensive midfield role. So that just gives her the vision to see the players ahead of her, to see the attack unfolding in front of her, three, four steps ahead of what it's already doing. She's really a box-to-box, two-way player for Bay FC. This is really big for them to get this player in this fashion um, and to be what this Bay FC side is building their entire team around. I've seen some comments that obviously um, Kansas City players and fans are not very happy that they're losing her because she did have a really good run with them. But it is a good place for Bay FC to start. Can you guys just break down for me, you know, silly little me, um, the fact that they are now protected from Bay FC because we were mentioning earlier that Orlando Sid, no, sorry, Orlando Pride is also protected and what that does during this expansion draft that's kind of new. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, look, I think if last year's double expansion draft is anything to go off of, the existing clubs are already working those phones. They're they're returning the emails, they're returning the text messages and talking about what are the ways that we can get in front of this double expansion draft. I'm not too surprised that the first two teams out of the gate to negotiate something with Bay FC is an Orlando Pride squad that's building up on their roster build and a Kansas City side that has a new coach in Vlako Andonovsky and are trying to build back in their return to the hopeful NWSL playoffs in 2024. This is huge for Kansas City because now they get to protect their players because the expansion draft, as Sandra was mentioning, um, these, yes, there is an element of, okay, are these new clubs going to talk to these players? Who wants to come then? The, the players have a little bit more of a choice because of the most recent CBA, but there's also a lot that can be determined by this expansion draft on the fly. So a player receiving a call saying, okay, wow, I am packing up my bags and moving across the country. So a lot of clubs try to protect their own players. So when this conversation um, 
kind of transpired between Bay FC and Kansas City, Bay FC was interested in Alex Luera. And although Casey wasn't fond to let her go, she was an incredible player for them, helped lead them to an NWSL championship just a year ago. They said, okay, can we lose one, try to get as much money as we possibly can, and then we get to protect the rest of the players on the team. So you have to be really smart as an ownership group and as sporting directors within these clubs to communicate with your players and to understand who who wants to go there. And Alex Luera spoke to media saying that she wanted to go back to the Bay Area. She wanted to go play for Bay FC. Nothing against Kansas City. It was just she's familiar with the area. She went to Santa Clara. She is incredibly familiar with the owners at Bay FC. You look at Leslie Osborne, Danielle Slayton, Allie Wagner, Brandy Chastain. These are players, former U.S international players, former Santa Clara players that Luera has a close relationship with. And so to have those conversations with Luera and Bay FC and, and for Luera to go to Kansas City and say, hey, uh, this is a move I want to do. Like, I will be happy doing this. It, it kind of honors the wishes of everyone. And now Kansas City can protect the rest of their roster from Bay FC in the expansion draft. Perfect. Thank you so much for that, Lisa. Remember that draft uh, for the expansion is December 15th. So that's coming up in about a month. And now they are protected with this news. We're going to come back and talk about Emma Hayes being the new U.S. Women's National Team head coach when we come back. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. U.S. Soccer officially announced Emma Hayes as the next head coach of the U.S. Women's National Team. She will not officially take over head coaching duties until the end of Chelsea's season in May. And during that time, Twyla Kilgore is going to continue her role as interim head coach. Let's go ahead and get immediate reactions to this because it is actually happening. I know for a while there it was just rumors, Lisa. Jenny, it's actually happening. U.S. Soccer confirmed it. Emma Hayes has talked about it as well. But when these rumors first started swirling around and Chelsea announced that Emma Hayes just wouldn't be returning for next year, Hayes tried to play it off and say, hey, I want to spend more time with my family. And I've really enjoyed my time here just waiting for the ball to drop with U.S. Soccer. This is a massive hire for U.S. Soccer. When you look at Emma Hayes and her tenure at Chelsea being there for over a decade, um, what she's been able able to accomplish there six super league titles, five FA cup t- wins. Um, she's won manager of the season six different times with Chelsea. And she's been able to take a club from what it was nothing all the way to a super powerhouse four time consecutive super league champions. And she's done all of this essentially by herself and just building this club up from the ground up with all the different players that she's brought in. And now the fact that she is coming to U.S. soccer and she is taking on a U.S. women's national team that um, has fallen a little bit from the top of the mountain. It's a challenge for Emma Hayes. And it's one that she talked about how she's only dreamed of this. It's a huge hire for U.S. soccer. And I'm really excited about the future now. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that, Lisa. I think it's that challenge that actually might have been that final motivating factor for both the Federation and Hema Hayes to kind of agree to and finalize this contract for her to take over things. And look, I think this is going to be that hire that checks off a lot of boxes for many people, whether it's uh, U.S. Soccer Federation or or fans, general public, for the casual viewers who are just into to soccer as a global concept. Concept. But this is the name that checks off those boxes. It checks off the fact that she is a big name coming out of Europe. She's able to check off the the qualities that uh, sporting director Matt Crocker wanted to look for in terms of casting a very wide net for multiple candidates. He wanted to get someone in who was a good communicator, able to build player relationships in, in line with being a good communicator, someone with you know a tactical mindset, an excellent football IQ to be able to go ahead and, and communicate that vision and communicate those tactics. And someone, of course, as well with a, the good record for scouting and developing, because this is a program that is in a little bit of influx, it's in a little bit of a transitional period. Where are they going after this round of 16 exit in the World Cup? And Emma Hayes is a coach, in their opinion, that fits all of those boxes. Well, Sandra, when you say all of this, I know we have to get into her contract a little bit, but I think the biggest thing on my mind right now is the fact that she is not taking over until the end of the season. That can be at the end of the WSL season, which is May 18th, or it can be after the Champions League final, which is scheduled for May 25th. That then allows her four matches on the U.S. bench before the Olympics that's going to take place August 10th. I mean, this is a bit of a concern, Sandra. It's definitely a question mark, for sure. I think when we take a look at some of those qualities that we heard about from U.S. soccer and the timeline to make a hire like this, sporting director Matt Crocker said, we want to have somebody in and hired by December. So maybe they ran into some issues along the way of this hiring process. We heard in an, an initial shortlist with reporting out of the athletics and he, uh, Australia's Tony Gustafson, Juventus, Joe Montemuro, uh, C uh, Reigns, uh, Laura Harvey were part of that shortlist. Who could it be? And Emma Hayes included as part of those candidates as well, but really had uh, her profile risen in terms of who was going to be the person to be given this role. And maybe some of those things that U.S. soccer ran into was that short timeline. There's not a lot of months between now and that Olympic buildup, but they also want to have someone in here that's going to keep an eye on the future. They're thinking more long-term here than just who are we going to get in to make sure we make a run at this next major international tournament. Yes, they want someone to go ahead and lead them through the Olympics, but they also want someone to look beyond that as well. So with other head coaching positions needing to be filled, maybe some of those coaches settling into those roles, whether they're national team levels or club levels, they worked out a contract here for Emma Hayes to go ahead and take on this role while being able to close out her season in Chelsea. Lisa, what does this mean for the Olympics, though? Does this mean that they're not as focused there and they are focusing for that future build, potentially the 2027 World Cup? I think that's exactly what it means. Of course, the Olympics coming up in Paris next summer 
are important for this U.S. side to establish themselves or really reestablish themselves on the international level. And although Hayes will be focused on Chelsea until May, there are international windows and moments where she can have those communications. And because Twyla Kilgore is staying at that interim head coaching role, Hayes and Kilgore have had those conversations about how this is going to look over the next several months while Kilgore is technically in charge as the interim still, but Hayes will be in charge and how they kind of hand that baton off from Kilgore to Hayes. Now, when Hayes does step in, it is not a lot of time. She'll have two windows, as you mentioned, Jenny, just four games to get this team up to speed. But there will be a lot done prior to that through Twyla Kilgore, who will be communicating on the ground in the States with the players, with players that have already been called into camp, players that they might want to see in their future camps being called in. But the Olympics are going to be a new foundation because it is a new era of U.S. soccer with Emma Hayes at the helm, and it will look different. And that's a really good thing for this federation right now. They need to turn over a new leaf and see what else can be provided with the power that is Emma Hayes and what she can bring to this team. You mentioned that power that is Emma Hayes. I think that that's one of the biggest things that we've been seeing lately is that she's not afraid to make changes, which is exactly where the U.S. national team is right now. It is in a moment of flux and in need of change. We've seen some videos come out where she talks about, you know, being pretty direct towards her players and treating them as professionals in that way and respecting them enough to be very direct in what she wants. But I think one of the biggest things that has come out is um, Chris Whittingham actually posted a video that he had interviewed Emma Hayes about two years ago on Chelsea FC. And she talked about being made in America. Uh, she talked about it being really important to her. She said she didn't know, um, sorry, the U.S. players don't know that when they're outmatched. They don't believe that that's even a possibility and that that is what helped create her and the way that she coaches and leads now. And I think that that's exactly why or one of the reasons why she wants to come back to the United States. Um, but Sandra, what can you tell us about this process to hire this coach that's led by Matt Crocker? Because I know that a lot of people are curious into that. Well, yeah, it's, it's been something that was ongoing really since Vlako Andonovsky stepped away and resigned from his position back in mid to late August. Uh, they had He had a bit of a check-in in terms of giving an update on a timeline in September, talked about qualities that they were going to look for and the windows of time that they had. But it consisted of multiple, several dozen candidates up for the position being flown in and out for varying interviews process. So multiple rounds as well. So this is just going through evaluations, data and tactical points as well for some of the candidates to go ahead and shine a little bit of light on who they would be uh, in this role and how they would navigate this program moving forward. And I think ultimately that might have been the final indicator for who they were going to roll the dice with uh, and in terms of who was actually going to take on this position. It changed from time to time for things that I was hearing from various sources. It was believed at one point that Tony Gustafson may have been the, the main candidate at one point, but accessibility maybe was something that also came in as a different sticking point. You know, a, a coach that is going to operate stateside and what are the complexities there from Chicago to Atlanta between headquarters and ultimately this new training facility in operations for U.S. soccer out of Georgia. So I think they're going to, to get that win uh, in Emma Hayes, but they had to concede a little bit in, in ultimately getting her stateside. And we're going to see that window from now till May. She's going to operate primarily in Europe and just echo what Lisa said and how that's going to look. That's going to take 
complete buy-in really from from everyone from technical support staff to the eventual players who are going to be called up into some of these international windows that take place from now in December all the way through to that Olympic window in the summer. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, when an opportunity is going to come perhaps maybe in a, in a public media set, uh, setting to go ahead and get some more clarity on some of those things and some of those windows uh, coming up. Uh, but in, in terms of the U.S. Soccer Federation going out there and getting their big name candidate, uh, it maybe was a shorter process than they would have liked, uh, but they went out and I think achieved their goals to get uh, the next face of the managerial role. Sandra, you mentioned how it was almost like U.S. soccer had to give a little in terms of their timeline of when they wanted this coach on U.S. soil versus the, the best candidate that they could get. And frankly, to me, that says so much about Emma Hayes as her character and, and as a person that she is, because in 2021, she re-signed a contract with Chelsea that was um, for an undisclosed time. It basically was like a gentleman's agreement between the club and her saying that they will, will have each other as an agreement and a partnership until like one of them decides it wasn't. But it was like a, a very true and honest agreement between them. So the fact that she said, yes, U.S. soccer, I'll take this job, but I am not leaving Chelsea high and dry. This is a club that has grown incredibly near and dear to her heart because she spent the better half of 10 years with them and with Chelsea building it up, she didn't just want to leave them. And that says a lot to me about who she is as a person and why players appreciate her so much and her honesty and how she's able to manage and communicate with these players because it's really human. And that's pretty cool to see in this position. Lisa, I couldn't agree more. Just the fact that she's been there for so long. She really did say that Chelsea is her. She is Chelsea. Like the fact that she feels so intertwined with this club that gave her so much and she gave so much too um, is wonderful. And it does talk about her character so much. There is so much more to talk about in this new appointment. So stay with us. We have a quick commercial break and we'll be back talking to Emma Hayes. Welcome back to Attacking Third. Let's get into Emma Hayes' contract because she is set to become the world's highest paid women's soccer head coach and reports saying that she will have the same base pay as Greg Barhalter, the U.S. men's national team head coach. Those details are listed right here. $1.6 million per year and her contract will run through the Women's World Cup. I mean, Lisa, when you heard this, how excited were you? What was your reaction to the fact that it's $1.6 million per year? Yeah, it's well-deserved for a coach that is coaching one of the very best teams in the entirety of the world. Of course, incredibly recent history has knocked the U.S. out of that number one spot. But this U.S. women's national team has been riding in the number one FIFA ranking spot for a very long time. And this is a really big role. Frankly, the fact that the U.S. isn't number one anymore makes it a bit more of a challenge. And when you're hiring a coach with a pedigree that Emma Hayes has, it is well-deserved that that she receives this much money. Um, I think the, the little factor in there and, and the, the fun fact, frankly, the is that Greg Burhalter and her make the exact same amount is just kind of like an interesting wrinkle throughout it because I mean, Emma Hayes, this is her very first international coaching position. So that's great that she's able to achieve that much money. But I really think it's well-deserved based on how successful she has been with Chelsea and the different elements that she brings to this coaching role. 
Yeah, I think it's an interesting note that that Lisa makes there, referring to it as an interesting recall, because it's it's not something that is directly tied, you know, with with all of the headlines that we had seen in the last year with equal pay and the collective bargaining agreement between the U.S. men's team and the U.S. women's national team. But I think it speaks a bit louder because of that. You know, it's not about making sure you're meeting a, a quota or something that was written into a bylaw. They're paying Emma Hayes because Emma Hayes is the best candidate for the job. And when you're the best candidate for the job, you should get paid the money. So this is a delightful thing to see that it's 1.6 million. It's per year. It's going to run through her contract in, in 2027. And that's what you want to see. I think when you are, when you find yourself and claiming to be one of the leaders of women's soccer in the world, that comes across the board, whether it's with the support of uh, of your players, that you're providing them with, with the endless resources, or when you have to find that next head coach to take you to the next level. So I love it. I love it as well, um, Lisa. But really quickly, uh, the new mentality that Emma Hayes will bring to this team, what would you say about that? I like this mentality. It, she is tough on players that aren't performing well. She's not afraid to not play players that aren't performing, but she also really encourages the growth of young players and understanding of the game. That's an element for U.S. soccer that I'm excited for Hayes to bring, a really tactical understanding because these players are the 0.01%. They understand the game well. Allow them the flexibility to showcase that on the pitch and to make in-game adjustments tactically uh, based on the opposition, whether they're prepared for that or they're not, Emma Hayes will get them up to speed on that because that's what she's done at Chelsea. So I love that she's going to bring that type of element to this side and the mentality is a winning one. And she understands that with these U.S. players. It's just going to roll right into that. 100%. Let's go to the commercial. Welcome back to Attacking Third. Let's pick up right where we left off. Sandra, now Emma Hayes, has been announced as the U.S. Women's National Team next head coach. What should be her to-do list as she now takes on this role? Yeah, I hear you. This this is where it gets fun, right? Now that it's official, let's try and have some fun with what's next for this team and where are they going to go. And I think there's a couple of things that should be on Emma Hayes' to-do list now that she's officially the new manager of the women's national team. I think one of those things that we've heard a lot about in the head coaching search was communication. So I want her to communicate that vision. What is going to be that game plan for this national team moving forward in the buildup to the Olympics and even beyond? What is that going to be? What does she envision for this program in the future? So I think number one for me is absolutely not only communicate with the players, but communicate what that vision is, what the program is going to be. I'd like her to also reevaluate the player pool a bit. I think that should also be on her radar. Now, we talked a lot about how in these short months leading up to the Olympics. There's not going to be a lot of time to A, prep for that. But B, I think now that we know kind of the deeds, some of the details of that contract and her timing getting with the national team, this might not be the window where we see a ton of new talent that is rotated into the mix of the national team pool. But that doesn't mean I don't think she's not going to reevaluate some things within that pool. I think we saw right now towards the end of this calendar year, we saw Jaden Shaw get in 
the mix with this national team, Mia Fischel as well. I mean, that's a player that she went out, scouted, and made sure that she brought to Chelsea. So I want to see that similar energy with this national team pool. And honestly, my last one on the to-do list is to literally just get into an international window. U.S. Soccer answered that a little bit in their official wording and their release saying, hey, she's going to be with Chelsea through May. Those first windows that she's going to actually be on the sidelines likely won't be till June, meaning she has two to four games that she'll be on the sideline physically with this national team. That's great to know, but I think that's still a point for people to take a look at, and they're going to see how she operates on that sideline with this national team. I think it's really important that she tries to get into camp. Maybe that even means like a virtual Zoom or something with the players, right? If she can't physically be there, can she start to open up the jar of communication that you want to see, Sandra? Because to not be there until June, that is just a month and a half before the Olympics. That is not a lot of time to be physically around a team. And when you look at the international windows and international teams in general, there is already an extremely limited amount of time that these players are together physically with the coaching staff. So to cut that in half again is really difficult. I think it's going to be a tough adjustment for everyone involved to get used to this. I mean, think of the players as a player, you need to understand what your coach wants from you and what they're asking of you, their tendencies as a coach, when they say little key phrases, what does that specifically mean as it pertains to you and your position? And that's something that you can't really get across over zoom or over a phone call or FaceTime or whatever it may be. You have to be in person and understand how they set up their formation, how they set up their training practices. What is it that going to look like? Is the overall system and routine going to be that different for these U.S. players? And she can't really do that until she's on the ground in the mix. So that, to me, has to be one of the top ones. And, and if she can't physically be there, how does she close, close that gap between her and the players, between her and the staff, between this new era and the players that are already in this position. Um, and that's going to be a really tall task for her to do that while still managing a club team that's looking to win another title in Chelsea and looking to win the Champions League. Sandra, that's exactly, um, and Lisa, my point, because the fact that you're not on the ground, like a Zoom is not giving you that personal presence. And that personal presence is what Emma Hayes brings mm -hmm. to the table, right? It's those conversations that you're having in between training when she pulls you aside and says, hey, you have this tendency, change this, do that differently. And if she's not there on the ground, you're not having those conversations. Like those are the real interactions that kind of change you as a player, change the way you're doing things and influence the team and their structure. Um, the fact that you're saying that the number one thing, Sandra, both of you listed on your list is that she needs to be there. I just wonder whether that's something that Chelsea fans would dislike or the Chelsea team would dislike because she has said, my complete commitment is here, you know, with Chelsea until the end of the season. And while U.S. soccer wants her to turn that page, it seems like she's a very loyal person. And when she says, hey, I'm going to stay with Chelsea until the end of the season, we're going to give it our best go. She's still missing that Champions League win. I don't know how you balance that out with your Emma Hayes is that loyalty and the fact that you do want to get started and start your how you're going to get this team going. 
I think it is a question mark for fans, especially, um, and the players at Chelsea right now, because they are kind of like a parent or a child of divorce, maybe at some extent, because <laughs> their player or their coach that they have trust in and that they work with every single day has already said, I am leaving you in a couple of months and I will not be here. So how invested are you as a player to really commit to that and to give your all? Now, I'm not saying that that is what these Chelsea players are thinking, but there has to be an element of like, okay, I'm on my own in this sense, or how much can I rely on this moving forward? Because you already know she's not going to be there. Now there is that elusive champions league title that Chelsea and Emma Hayes have yet to win. And they're in a current fight for that to, to win that trophy. And I do believe that Emma Hayes wants to do that. Imagine if she could win a champions league title and then uh, finish her Chelsea career at the very top, perhaps her fifth consecutive Super League title as well, win the Champions League and then head over to one of her dream jobs with U.S. soccer. I think that's what she wants. But there is an element of confusion for the players and fans at Chelsea right now. I think that's an interesting point that you bring up, because if if she ends up going all the way with Chelsea and they kind of lift that elusive trophy that has escaped them, it's going to look like an even bigger dub for U.S. soccer. Honestly, I think people will be like, who cares about that odd window of time where she's unavailable? Like, not only are we getting one of the best coaches out of Europe, we're getting the reigning Champions League winner, but they've got actually have to go out there and win the whole dang thing. But I love that you brought up even the current players at Chelsea. I mean, Millie Bright, I think, has gone on record saying that it is a little bit of a, of a devastating blow. Like, you absolutely support uh, your, your teammates, your coaches, the people that have sort of been your family and teammates for years and years and years in their next endeavors. But still, we're all human and people feel the effects of things. And Millie Bright saying, hey, this is someone who has coached me for years in my career, has left a personal mark on me that it's not just a coach, a life coach in Emma Hayes. So it absolutely is something I think that um, the players have had to maybe process in, in real times. But who knows? Maybe there's a switch that happens and they end up going on this remarkable run. We'll have to stay tuned and see. But I think if if it does all work out, Lisa, I think it just ends up looking better for U.S. soccer. It's going to be so interesting to see how she does end up balancing these two jobs and she finishes off at Chelsea and then coming to the U.S. Women's National Team head coach. But one of the bigger things that I want to talk about is what would you expect from her tactically, uh, Lisa? Mm-hmm. I know that, that you've been diving into how she coaches Chelsea and kind of what we expect to see her do here with the U.S. Women's National Team. What's your take on that? Jenny, Emma Hayes is technically and tactically on the pitch. She has a lot in her playbook. And that's something that truly excites me with this U.S. side. Because look at the players and the depth and the talent that U.S. soccer has in and out of position. There are so many players that can play in a number of different roles and excel at them. And Emma Hayes has the vision to see that within players, to see personal and individual strengths and where that can build the team up best, whether that's slotting players that are typically in the front line, maybe a little bit farther back or bringing players across the back line, higher up 
pitch and also formationally what she does and, and how she scouts opposition. So when you look at Chelsea and what they've done over the last several years is she prepares her team for the opposition and who they're going against. Now, if it's a, a big opponent that um, maybe doesn't have the best chances over Chelsea, they're more likely to sit in a lower to mid block. And she has to teach her Chelsea side how to unlock that, how to use their creativity, lean into the creative freedom in their front line to unlock that. And she's had to do that. And and there's also been times when Emma Hayes has gotten into matches and in the opening five minutes realizes this is not going to work. Let's change things. And she trusts the players to be able to make those in-game adjustments, whether it's formationally going from a four back to a three back to a five back or slotting players up higher and wider on the pitch or adding a bit more congestion centrally down the field as well. She has made those adjustments and it's not game day that those things come. It is the build up to it. Now, as an international coach, you don't have as much time with these players. However, they understand the different tendencies and the roles. They're smart players. If you tell them one thing, they're going to absorb it, maybe watch it on film once or twice, and then they've got it down and they're able to do that. So she trusts her players to make those tactical and technical adjustments in the game. And that's what I'm excited to see because opposition for the United States, they throw out a lot of crazy things that these teams have to react to on the fly in friendlies in big tournaments. And now they will be equipped to handle that with Emma Hayes as their head coach. I think that's one of probably the biggest assets, you know, coming into this U.S. Women's National Team as the new head coach. I think that um, tactical fluidity that Emma Hayes can provide, I think, ultimately is going to be a bit of that new X factor for this Women's National Team program. I think what we've heard in the previous cycle from opposition after going up against the United States was the level of predictability around this team. And the fact that Emma Hayes can maybe bring in and infuse uh, new tactics, new ideas, new belief, I think is going to bode well for this program moving forward. I love that you have watched a Chelsea game here or there, and maybe you see a 4-3-3, but it's actually a 4-1-4-1, or maybe you see a bit of a three-bag, but it's perhaps a more of a fluctuating, you know, five-bag. So I, I love that uh, about Emma Hayes, and I think that's what I'm most excited for tactically, is that maybe we might not just see one particular formation of play. You know what? I can't remember exactly where I read it, but this sounds so familiar to me. Um, Lisa, you were talking about that low block or that mid block and breaking that down. Um, I'm trying to figure out where I read it, but I think that Matt Crocker had said that that's something that the U.S. teammates said that they wanted in a coach because he also included them in that hiring process and what they wanted as a manager. And that's something that he thought was very important or the players thought was very important. Translated to him, a player that can get them through that because a lot of teams play against them in that way, Lisa. Yeah, they do. And and the fact that the players are involved in this process and they had those conversations um, says a lot about how invested they are and how much they want this correction. And there are a lot of coaches that are really tactically sound out there and can do a lot of different things. But I think sometimes it becomes um, a struggle of, of riches because when you look at the talent that this team has, any of these players could be starting and could be playing in a variety of positions. So to be able to put them in the best position to succeed based on the tournament, the international competition that you're playing against might not look the same from week to week or from international 
friendly to international friendly. And that's something that Emma Hayes also does. She rotates players and she talks to them about how maybe their style isn't going to fit in this game. And that's okay. It's still a unique style and they need that for later on, or maybe it comes on in the 80th minute to just change the game entirely. But it's having those conversations and that communication. And for her as a, a head coach to have the wherewithal to understand that and to communicate that to players and not be afraid to switch things up when things aren't working, whether that's your traditional starting 11 that's maybe started for the last several months um, when you need something a little different on the pitch. Well, something that you talk about is that she's not afraid to make changes there. Um, One of the things that I realized because I used to work for Chelsea, so I studied her game uh, quite a bit is that she moves players out of position quite often because she wants to have the best 11 players on the field whenever possible. So she moved uh, Jess Carter from midfield to defense. She moved Crystal Dunn from her midfield position to a defender as well. She's not afraid to make these changes. And I think the biggest thing about making these changes is delivering correctly or um, efficiently in the best way um, and interacting with your players and staff and making sure that they understand what is wanted from them and that they are on board with what she is doing there. She's also not afraid to make an early sub in a match if she sees that that's not working. And I think that, you know, earlier I, I mentioned the quote that she said in this interview with Chris Whittingham about, you know, believing that um, she always has a chance. You know, they don't believe that they are ever outmatched and that she got that from coaching in the United States from women that she coached there. And I think that that's exactly it is trusting your own gut and something that we sometimes fail to do. And we kind of heard with the U.S. Women's National Team is, you know, who is making the decisions? Are they strong enough to make the hard decisions? And I feel like Emma Hayes is that perfect um, person and has shown you that she's not afraid to make anyone upset. She's not afraid to make the hard decisions. Is that what you see as well, Sandra? Yeah, absolutely. I think just touching back on what you said about um, the player input, you know, no, they're not the ones that ultimately um, do the interviewing or make the hiring. But, you know, they were asked for that input, you know, and some of the things that they did throw out there as as necessities that they wanted to see qualities in the potential next manager were things like, you know, football IQ, t- tactical um Tactical agility, you know, that flexibility that we talked about. Uh, They also, you know, did make a note of the international experience coming into play. And I think that's maybe open up for perception. Um, Some folks might be like, well, where's the international experience from Emma Hayes? But on the other side of that, they might say her international experience is simply coaching in Europe against other very talented European squads. So I think I think it's important to to note some of those things in, in evaluating this ultimate hire for the team. But I'm looking forward to seeing those those big adjustments. It was difficult to just maybe narrow it down to three things that I'd like to see immediately from Emma Hayes, because I think she's capable of more than those things. And whether it's um, communicating that vision or get physically getting into an international window or reevaluating that pool, which I'm most intrigued by, um, I'm looking forward to it. I think maybe she might even have a leg up on some other things, considering the fact that she had to do a bit of uh, scouting and recruiting and, and getting play players in, in me official or even Katarina Macario. And that's what I'm going to look for as well with this coach in reevaluating uh, the pool. There's a, there's a number of players who are technically still working themselves back and in return to play protocol. 
that vision that she's eventually going to communicate uh, to the team, perhaps through Twyla Kilgore, that's going to have to, I think, include those players who are in those return to blade protocols. So, um, you know, what is going to be communicated to, you know, Katarina Macario as she continues to, to build back into play uh, or even a Kristen Press who has had to work her way back, uh, you know, from from her ACL injury or even uh, Amal Swanson, who had to exit the NWSL regular season pretty early, who was very much trending on a rocket to crack that uh, World Cup squad in 2023. So I think that is going to be something to keep an eye on um, in terms of uh, when we talk about like reevaluating the, the player pool. It's not just about getting maybe some of those new faces, the younger talents in, of course, that includes that. But what does that mean for these players who are also looking to get back in to this pool? I love that you mentioned that because when we talk about reevaluating the player pool, does that mean that everyone now gets an even footing to begin with, right? So we had, you know, players that were part of the national team for so long that they had no way out. Like you can't come in and be the coach and be like, never mind, I'm not really into you um, because that's not really how the system works. Is Emma Hayes going to give everyone an equal footing, equal footing, excuse me, and give everyone the opportunity to kind of impress her and see where those things are? That includes those injuries that you mentioned there or Kristen Press who hasn't been in for a while. Um, the new players that are coming in and players who have never been called in before. Do you expect her to make these radical changes in that way and give everyone an equal footing? I think it's really hard to predict that, honestly, because of of what she's going to do. And she hasn't been living under a rock, right? She's been watching this team and she's coached a number of these players. She knows them already, a lot of them already. And because of that, I think it's hard for her and she shouldn't have to do that. She should use the experiences that she has with these players and, and watching them develop. I mean, not to make her decisions, but to to kind of keep that in her back pocket because some of the players that she has already coached before, she knows them, how they respond to her, her coaching tendencies and things like that. Sandra, what did you think? What were you going to say? I love that you and I are both like, I don't really know, <laughs> like to lead off our questions. Incredible mind meld there, buddy. But I, I will just echo on all of your sentiments, which shockingly, I agree with each of them. But um, I, I think it's, it's, Likely, I will add in the timeline just to piggyback onto some of your your comments. I agree, I agree with them, but I don't know if this window of time in the buildup from now, her announcement to this Olympic Games, we're going to maybe see a ton of that. You know, I think maybe post Olympics, we'll really get a bit of that Emma Hayes uh, reevaluating of the player pool energy once that major international window is sort of shut and they're looking ahead to um, 2027, perhaps. So maybe not right now in these short eight months, maybe a bit of um, retweaking, reevaluating of the current pool. But as far mm -hmm. as expanding it, I would maybe assume or operate in the assumption that we're going to see that post-Olympics. Brilliant. I agree with you guys on everything. I'm so excited about this. We're going to continue to talk about this as more news comes out. We're continuing to follow this story. We'll watch the December windows and see what's going on. But guys, thank you so much for joining this original uh, cast crew of Attacking Third. I'm so honored to be on with you guys. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you again on Friday at 8 p.m.